All right, let's turn in our Bibles now to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're moving through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we're winding down towards the end of it, um, finishing up the 15th chapter today with some of the greatest passages in all the Scripture, certainly. Paul's been talking about the resurrection. He started the chapter by saying, the good news is that Jesus died for us and was buried and rose again. And that you could prove that he rose again. There were lots of eyewitnesses who attested to it. He went on and he said he saw Jesus himself. And then he went on to talk about what resurrection means and why it's important. He talked about, well, what if Jesus didn't rise from the dead? What would that mean? And just uh, a great discussion. Last week we looked through the passages. He was explaining that, that death is sort of like of seed when it's planted in the ground and and then it dies and grows forth into this flower and how we also are these bodies are designed to deteriorate and yet programmed within these bodies is everything that we are one day going to be as we're in heaven as we flower forth and become that which was programmed into us minus the sin that that was destroying us and so now, as we come to verse 50, he is really kind of summarizing sort of the bottom line of what he's saying, and then goes into that great verse 58, one of the greatest verses in the Bible, where he says, and here's how you should live your life on the basis of what we're talking about. So let's look beginning with verse 50. He says, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So what he has been trying to explain is kind of summed up in verse 50. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Corruption can't inherit incorruption. In other words, these bodies that we live in now are deteriorating and they're not appropriate to take with us to heaven. When we are living in an environment where there is really no more death and no more pain, these bodies won't fit well because these bodies were designed with planned obsolescence in mind. These bodies are dying. Ever since we've been born, we've been in the process of dying. And so he said, don't get too attached to those bodies. Don't get so wrapped up in the body that you have right now. You need to understand, 
that thing will not, no matter how much you try to clean it up, polish it up, fix it up, preserve it and keep it in shape, flesh and blood just can't inherit the kingdom of God. It's not going to happen. Now, we look at our bodies, and we do get attached to them, rather, you know, and, and, and we say, well, guy, you know, we got to take care of our bodies, and there's certainly some truth to that, but the point Paul is making is you're going to have to lose that thing. That is going to have to die and then be changed into a body that really is capable of expressing who you really are, a body that will really work. Now, our bodies, when they were originally designed by God, were perfect. You know, you may wish you had the perfect body. Well, the fact that you don't have the perfect body is because of sin. When we choose to rebel against God, and it started in the Garden of Eden, and we've kept up the tradition, we continue to abuse that which he has given us. There's something that happened at the fall that caused our bodies to be on a pathway toward death. Paul is just reminding us of that fact, reminding us that flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. This body isn't made for heaven. But then he goes into talking about this mystery in verses 51 and 52 and 53 as he discusses what we call the rapture of the church. The time when Jesus returns, as he had promised, and remember when Jesus left, and went up into heaven, the angels were standing there and told the people, you know, why are you gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who just ascended into heaven is going to come back in the same way in the clouds. Jesus himself had already told the disciples, look, I'm going away, and I'm going to go and prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So the disciples were kind of expecting him to come back at any point. Now, he said he was going to go prepare a place for him, but you figure, how long should that take? You know, he's Jesus. For one thing, he was, already, he was a carpenter, and then he's God. So they didn't expect it to take so long, and that became kind of confusing for them. But here Paul is revealing a mystery, and that doesn't mean a mystery isn't something that you can't understand or that you'll never have the answers to or something that's really spooky and scary. A mystery in the Bible is something that people didn't know, but now it's being unveiled, it's being revealed. And so Paul here reflects on this time when people will be taken up into heaven without having to die. Now, you know, they had been looking for that day. People have been for a long time. Um, his point in discussing this is not to have a big discussion on the rapture. And so we're not going to spend a bunch of time discussing it today. We'll look at one other passage. But when we study First Thessalonians, when we study the book of Revelation, we'll do an in-depth kind of look at the rapture. But right now, I just want you to be able to follow Paul's argument that he's making here. But in order to get the full picture of it, do turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Because in 1 Thessalonians, Paul was addressing these people who were starting to get bummed because their friends were dying. And they were waiting for Jesus to appear in the clouds and take them to be with him. But now some people didn't live long enough and they were afraid that somehow their friends were missing out. And so Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning with verse 13, 
He said, but I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. He uses that metaphor of sleep for death. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So when he comes back, they're coming back with him. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, just a couple of points to deal with here. <laughs> it's hard to, when you read this passage and when you read the one that we just read over in 1 Corinthians 15, he refers to resurrection of people who died before Jesus came back, and he refers to people who are raptured, and it would sound in one sense like, wow, the resurrection happens at the point of the rapture. And, and so then that begs the question, if that's the case, what happens to people who die? And since he uses the metaphor of sleep, there are some people who think that when you die, you just go to sleep, you're not conscious, and then when the rapture comes, that's the day that you will rise as one of the dead in Christ as well. Now, I don't believe that because the Scripture says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, like we've already seen in 1 Corinthians. So uh, I believe that when we die, we immediately go into the presence of God. I don't believe in soul sleep, but there are some people who believe in that. But then there are other people who would say, but if you go to be with the Lord, but it looks like you get your new body, the resurrection, at the time of the rapture, well, how do you explain that? And there are some people who have said, well, maybe you go to be with the Lord, but you're just like a ghost. You're just a disembodied spirit waiting for the time when eventually you'll get your body at the time of the rapture, when everybody gets their bodies. And so there are good people who believe that. I, I have a hard time with that because Paul says he didn't long to become a disembodied spirit, but he wants to be clothed with that body that God's preparing for him. And so um, then there are some people who go, well, probably what it is is when you die and go to be with the Lord, you get like a temporary body, kind of a loner, and until the rapture comes and then you'll get your permanent body and you'll you know, dump the temporary one. And that could be a lot of good people. I know it sounds funny, but there are a lot of good people who believe that. Um, I, I personally kind of doubt it. M my conviction is, I shouldn't even say conviction because the Bible isn't completely clear on it. My conviction is I know when I die, I go immediately to be with the Lord. The rest of the stuff, it's hard to weed it out. But I'm suspecting that the resurrection is a progressive thing whereby People who died a thousand years ago who knew Jesus Christ, they already have their new bodies. Jesus was the first fruit. He got his body. And so I think that it's a progressive resurrection. And I think that when Paul describes this, he's just emphasizing, you know, the dead in Christ will rise first. In other words, they'll rise before you do. So don't worry. They're not missing out on anything. 
I'd love to go in the rapture. I think it would be really fun to be floating off the ground and just to go up into heaven and meet Jesus in the clouds. But I might die before it happens. And that's cool because if I die, I get my resurrection body and I'm coming down with Jesus. I don't miss the rapture. I get to see it from a bird's eye view. I'm going down. Some of you people who take better care of yourselves than I do will be floating up. Uh, nobody's going to miss out. You know, we're all going to be okay. And, and I kind of think that that's, what, that's probably the way it works. And of course, as I talked about a couple weeks ago, when you're talking about leaving time and stepping into eternity, it all may be moot because it might be that when we die, we get there and everyone's there. We're out of time in eternity and it's all already over. But at any rate, I don't want to miss the point of what Paul is saying here and go any further into that. Now, I believe that the rapture of the church happens before the tribulation period. I, I think that it's the next event that's going to happen. I'm looking, I'm looking for it to happen. As Paul told Titus, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. But I have to say there are some good Christians who love God who believe that it's going to happen in the middle of the tribulation, some who believe it's going to happen at the end of the tribulation, others who have all sorts of other ideas about prophecy that interpret it in different ways. I don't fight over it. I'm especially not going to fight over when the rapture comes because if I'm right, then we're all going to know at the same time. You can be post-trib if you want, and I'll be laughing at you as we're floating up. But <laughs> No, seriously, it's just not something to divide over because Scripture doesn't lay it out really clearly. I think there are a lot of indications. Now, in our passage here in 1 Corinthians, the reason I mention that is because there are people who would see that he says it's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet there in verse 52. Now, that's a reason why a lot of people believe it happens at the end of the tribulation. Because if you read Revelation, there are some trumpet judgments. And in Revelation chapter 11, the seventh trumpet is blown. And that's the seventh of the seven trumpets. And at that point, Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom. So it's a reasonable assumption that some people have made to say, oh, then that's the seventh trumpet. That must be the last trumpet. And therefore, they believe that the rapture happens at the end of the tribulation. Now, the, the problem with that that I see is that it doesn't say the seventh trumpet is the last trumpet. It's the seventh trumpet. And there are lots of trumpets. They use trumpets all the time as a signal. And so also in Revelation, the trumpets are to signal various judgments that are occurring and then an ultimate judgment there at the end. Um, this trumpet in 1 Corinthians and in, and in 1 Thessalonians is a trumpet to announce something that's really victorious. Also, the angel blows the trumpet in Revelation. This is the trumpet of God, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And so, to me, I see that this is a different trumpet than the one at the end of the tribulation. Plus, I don't get the whole idea of getting raptured at the end of the tribulation, because at the end of the tribulation, we're going to come down with him and help rule and reign with him. So what's the point of the rapture? It's a, I call it a ricochet rapture if it's post-trib. It's like, why go up and then come right back down? It, doesn't, it doesn't seem logical to me. But if you're post-trib or mid-trib or, 
or preterist or amillennial or whatever you are, it's fine. You know, you have a right to believe what you want and to be wrong if you choose. But <laughs> I'm just joking, you know, but it's all going to pan out. Ultimately, we're all going to see what the deal is. And at this point, though, I don't want to miss Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 15. And his point in referring to all this and talking about it in the moment in the twinkling of an eye, we're going to be changed. When I was a kid in our church, they had a sign in the church nursery that quoted this verse, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And I thought that was cute. But um, if you're a mom with little babies, you appreciate that. But he's saying there's a transformation that's coming. The trumpet will sound, the dead are raised incorruptible, and those of us who are alive and remain are going to be transformed too. His point you're not getting out of this body alive. You know, this body is going to wear out. Flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. So even if you live to be a thousand and you make it to the rapture, whenever that is, your body needs to be transformed. It needs to be resurrected. And so people who die before Jesus returns are just getting there quicker than you. They're going through that transformation of their body but your body needs to be traded in no matter whether you die or whether you are raptured. And that's his point. And again, he says, this corruptible, verse 53, must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. And then he goes on to say, when this corruptible is put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written over in Isaiah 28, death is swallowed up in victory. So he says, the moment of transformation, whether for you that is your death, or whether for you that would be the rapture of the church when you're caught up to be with the Lord and into heaven, either way, that is a day of victory. That's when finally death stops. As he says, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. He said, death is what you've been dragging with you in this body as long as you've been in this body. And when you're younger, you're not as aware of it. As you get older, you look in the mirror and realize, I'm dying. It's kind of funny when, you know, you get some disease and the doctors don't know what they can do for you and they tell you, oh, I have some bad news for you. You're dying. <laughs> Duh. I, I've been dying. I've been busy dying all my life. From when I was born, I started to die. It's no big revelation, nor is it a big catastrophe. If they come and tell me that I'm dying, they're telling me something that I already know, number one. And number two, they're telling me I'm about to win. Because death has been the enemy. That thing within us that has been deteriorating, that has been causing our body to be self-destructing, that is the enemy. And when we came to Jesus Christ, it was to recognize that there is hope for that death that is dominating us. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is is the law. So the law shows us that we're sinners. The law teaches us that we can't fix ourselves, that our best efforts at reformation are just polishing the brass on a sinking ship. And he's, he's saying, look, 
death finally, or the rapture, transformation, resurrection, that's what will finally announce that you won. Death has been your enemy from the day you were born. And death will be defeated. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, it'll be defeated at the resurrection. And not before. You can defy death. You can deny death. You can ignore death. But the only way to defeat death is to rise afterwards, is to rise from it. And he says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, look, understand this. Your body is temporary. Accept that. And your deliverance from what's wrong with you is resurrection. Glory in that. Look forward to that. That is your victory. That is when you win. You don't lose when you die. You win when you die if you're a child of God. And this is important for us to grasp. Now, on the one hand, it should cause us to not look at our bodies and worship them more than we ought to. Because we realize they're temporaries. They're wearing out. They're not, you know, everything that they can be. And it's only when we are resurrected that they'll finally be what they could be. But on the other hand, we'd say, well, but also because they are fragile and disposable, shouldn't we take care of them? Yeah, there's a point to which you definitely should. But think of it like a temporary crown when you have dental work done. Now, I hate to even bring up an unpleasant topic like the dentist, but we're already talking about death, let's face it. And, but you go to the dentist and they need to give you a crown. So they grind your tooth down and you hear that. And, and then they slap a temporary crown on because it takes too long to make the permanent crown that's going to be glued on there. So you get your temporary crown. How do you look at that temporary crown? Do you think, eh, it's just temporary, so who cares what happens to it? I think I'll go crunch some ice or chomp on a, on a, a jawbreaker or something. No, because, man, if you break it, then you've got to go get another temporary crown. So you have a temporary crown in your mouth. You kind of deliberately chew on the other side of your mouth, and you're, you, you treat it kind of fragilely. Well, that's sort of the way we should be with our bodies. Hey, this thing's not going to last forever, but... Let's make the most of it because it needs to get me by until I get my permanent crown from God. And so that's kind of the perspective is understand these things are temporary. Yeah, don't spend too much time polishing it up. You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't go and have, you know, gold put into a temporary crown so you'd look really cool. You just, okay, it's there and that's our bodies. But the day is going to come when that body is going to be transformed and you won't recognize it. It'll be you. It'll be more you than you've ever been before. But resurrection is the day of victory when ultimately the curse of sin is reversed. The damage that that we've all inherited and that we all propagate ourselves will be done away with. And resurrection is a good thing. Resurrection is victory. And so it should be a special thing when someone that we love, who we know has trusted Jesus Christ, goes to be with the Lord. They won. Yeah, we mourn, but as Paul said in 1 Corinthians, in 1 Thessalonians 4, but not like those who have no hope. We feel sorry for ourselves, but we don't feel sorry for the person that just won. We don't go, oh man, it's too bad for him. It's too bad for her. 
You know, you know uh, somebody was sharing with me that they, someone in their family had a two-year-old that they just heard the baby's not going to live too much longer. And you go, oh, that, that must be so painful for the parents and grandparents and everything. But you're not going to feel sorry for the two-year-old and go, oh, I'm so sorry. You're going to be with the Lord pretty soon. You're going to miss so much. You'll miss the next season of American Idol. You'll miss, what? You'll miss growing up and having your heart broken many times. You'll miss final exams. You'll miss having to find a job. You'll miss, you know, being hungry, eating the wrong stuff. We'd be like, oh, man, you're so lucky. You got out early. You got a you got an early out pass. And that's Paul's perspective on resurrection. Whenever it happens, hey, okay, I'm here for now. I'm in this body. All right. I'll make the best of it. But I'm looking forward to and living for the day of deliverance. And don't feel sorry for me when that happens. Because we all need that resurrection before we'll ever be what we were designed to be, before we'll ever come into a point where now it all makes sense. The sting of death is gone. The pain of sin has been removed. So in light of this whole discussion, now we come to verse 58. And again, on the basis of the victory, now he talks about, but what do we do now? And this verse 58, I think, is one of the more important verses in the scriptures. He starts out by saying, therefore. That means on the basis of everything that we've been talking about, on the basis of the reality of the resurrection, on the basis of the fact that you need to turn this body in and have it made over and fixed, on the basis of the fact that we don't know how long our life is going to last here, but we know that it's going to continue and, and ultimately go on forever. So on the basis of all of that, He says, my beloved brethren. He goes, I want you to understand, you're loved. God loves you. He started this discussion by saying, Jesus Christ died for our sins. Our sin is what messes us up. And Jesus Christ died to pay for that sin. And that's how we know how much he loves us. So he says, look, understand that you're loved. But then he says, my beloved brethren, be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, here's how we usually read this passage a lot of times. We go, wow, he's talking about death and resurrection, and now on the basis of that, I need to get busy. I need to be steadfast and immovable and abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing my labor. I better, oh, life is so short. And we often say that, Oh, life is so short, you need to make the most of the opportunity. But I don't think that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about life being short. He's talking about life being long. He's going, life goes forever. You have all the time in the world. And so he says, on the basis of the fact that death doesn't end anything, death starts something, starts an eternal celebration of who you are and what God has done for you and how much he loves you now. So be steadfast. That word in the Greek, steadfast, it just means to sit down. 
To be immovable means not to be taken from one place to another. Don't let anybody move you away. Quite a different idea from our idea of let's get stuff done. See, we see the world through our eyes. And if I was God and I saved people, I'd want them to get some stuff done for me. I'd give them a list of things to do and go, here's your task. But you never get that feeling from God. Like he's depending on us or needs a lot out of us. And he's never in a hurry. One day is with the Lord as a thousand years. And a thousand years as one day. Jesus never seemed pressured. He came here to die. He had to save the whole world. And he was only going to live 33 years. But he waited till he was 30 before he even got going. Before that, he's just working out in the shop. And, and then kind of rushed through his ministry and 33, okay, I'm done. And he gave his life for us. But he wasn't, you know, there's more people I need to talk to. There's more sick people I need to. Yeah, of course there were more sick people, more hurting people, more people that needed to hear the good news. But he wasn't in a hurry. And that's what, here Paul is saying, look, sit down and relax Don't be moving around. What I need from you, God would say, is stability. I want you to settle down. And then how about always abounding in the work of the Lord? Isn't that to be a type A personality? Do as much as you can. The word there for abounding is a word that's used a bunch in the New Testament. And it almost always refers to someone who's rich. The idea of it is I'm overflowing, I have more than I need, and it's running over the top. It's overflowing. That's what abounding, and he goes, you're always abounding in the work of the Lord. See, the idea is not you have so much that you have to do. The idea is, hey, abound, be blessed. Allow your blessings to overflow, and let that be the work of the Lord. Paul used the same word over in Philippians chapter 4 when he was talking about learning to be content. And he said, the Philippians had sent him a gift. And he goes, oh man, I am so abounding because of the gift that you gave me. But he said, I don't want you to think I wasn't abounding, I wasn't wealthy, I wasn't blessed before you gave it to me. He said, I have learned in whatever circumstances I am to be content. He said, I've learned how to be abased, how to be broke, and I've learned how to abound, to overflow the same word. I've just figured out, be satisfied with what I have, and then share it with others. Paul told the rich people when he was talking to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he said, tell those people who have a lot of stuff in this world to make sure that they enjoy it, to make sure that they share it, to make sure that they don't get too attached to it. That's the kind of abundant life that Jesus came to give us. I came that you would have life and that more abundantly. Again, the same idea, the same word. So here's what Paul is saying, and it really fits beautifully with the idea of life lasting, not with life ending. He says, would you just sit down, calm down a little bit, don't feel like the pressure is on you, Be steadfast and unmovable. Don't be running around like a chicken with your head cut off. 
Don't be bouncing from thing to thing, feeling like, oh, there just aren't enough hours in the day. Now, are you kidding me? Not enough hours? We're going to, for billions and billions and billions and billions of years, we're going to be with God. Doing what we were created to do, as the Westminster Catechism says, to love God and enjoy him forever. That's what we're made to do. And we get to do that for all of eternity. Death, for us, is just a transition, that's all. And on the basis of that, quit acting like you're in such a hurry. Quit acting like you have to be everywhere at once. Quit acting like there aren't enough hours in the day. There are plenty of hours in the day. Jesus, at the end of his day, would say, I did everything that the Father gave me to do today. And besides that, there's always tomorrow. And so, in that context, he's going, in light of eternal life, settle down. Don't be so flighty. Be dependable. Have people be able to trust in you because they know you're going to be there. You're not going to you know, be on a roll, manic roller coaster all the time. Be steadfast and unmovable and super abounding, overflowing, being blessed, allowing God's work in your life to flow out and flow on to others. It's what Jesus declared at the great day of the feast when he talked about the Holy Spirit coming. And he said, as the Spirit says, out of your innermost being will gush forth torrents of living water. That's what God wants to do. He wants to bless you so much that it runs off on others, that they are blessed by what God is doing for you. And here's how it works. I mean, you go, but wait a minute, we only have so much time and there are so many lost people. Well, guess what? Very few of those lost people who don't know Jesus Christ are going to become Christians because they see you working at it so hard, because they see you so intense, because they see you so focused and, and disciplined and all of the. That just isn't inspiring. That doesn't change lives. It's allowing God to work in you sitting there, letting it happen and letting him flow through you that ultimately is going to make the greatest difference. If you're in a hurry, it just doesn't work. And when you're in a hurry, you're acting like you think life is almost over. Eternity, that's life. So be abundant. Be blessed and enjoy him. Let that enjoyment of him flood over and run on to other people. And you'll know that as you are serving God in that kind of a way, with that kind of a heart, you'll know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Your labor can be in vain. If you do God's work in your way, or if you do it in a way that sends the wrong message, a lot of time it'll be in vain. People get the wrong idea. They'll think, wow, I guess you have to work really hard to be good in order to be a good Christian. And it scares them away. But if you're abounding in him, then your labor won't be in vain. That word labor there is a word that refers to the pain. It's literally the word kapos, cut. But it's the idea that, you know, sometimes it's going to hurt. Sometimes as we are serving God, yeah, there's pain involved. But we realize it's not going to be involved for long. It's not going to hurt for long. You know, when you have kids, man, it really hurts to have a baby, so they tell me. But 
And as they grow up, it still hurts. Sometimes when they become teenagers, and, and for some of you, you know, you have kids in their 30s and 40s, and it still hurts to have kids, 50s and 60s even. But, you know, it goes by just like that. And to sit there and, and focus on the pain and to believe that somehow, oh, no, to be Eeyore and act like it's never going to get better, that's, that's a waste of energy and time. But to be abundant, to allow him to overflow, then you realize even the pain is just temporary. It's going to go away. It's not going to destroy me. And if it does destroy me, I win. I'm there with the Lord. So the worst thing that can happen is the best thing that could happen. And Paul goes, get this, understand it. We're all going to need to be changed. It's just the way it goes. When you get changed is up to God. It might be when you get hit by a car pulling out of the parking lot. Maybe that you're going to live so old, your body's deteriorating that you're wishing you could die, and finally it'll wear out. Or that as you get older, you're so obnoxious that your family kind of helps the process along. <laughs> you know? I'm not advocating that. But whatever it is, or it may be that Jesus Christ appears in the air and we're all caught up and raptured. The fact is, this life... Don't think about it in terms of, oh, it may not last long. No. It's going to lead into a transition if we've given our hearts to Jesus Christ that's going to go on forever. So let's settle down. Let's take the time to sit. Let's take the time to, to reflect and to enjoy and to, and to bask in all that God is going to do for us and all that he's doing for us now and let's allow our service of him to be overflowing of what he's doing for us. And then when it hurts, it's worth the hurt. It's a good kind of pain. And ultimately, we're going to be with him. And all of the hurt that you've ever gone through in your life, those times that people abused you, those times that people treated you horribly, those times that people didn't appreciate you, all that stuff you pile it up, You'll have all of eternity to get over it. You'll get over it. It'll be fine. You're not going to get to heaven and go, he never said he was sorry to me. <laughs> We're in heaven. Sit down, shut up. Enjoy yourself. And that's where we ought to be right now. That's the perspective that we need right now. Let's act like we have an eternity ahead of us because we do. Let's enjoy that and appreciate it. No push, no obsessive struggle to get somewhere. We're all going the same place if you've given your life to Jesus Christ. So enjoy the ride. Take the path. Stick with him. Enjoy serving him. Make sure that you share when he has blessed you and caused you to abound. And we've all been blessed and we all have more than we need. It's just a state of mind, whether you want to live your life looking at what you don't have or whether you want to live your life looking at what you do have. But regardless of what you have right now, someday you're going to have plenty. You're like a trust fund kid, you know? You see these kids that know that they're going to inherit a billion dollars? They're not too worried about little things that happen. 
financially because they know I can get myself in debt. I can get right back out of it all. I'm just one death away from success. Well, that's all of us. That's all of us. We're just one death away our own from victory because of what Jesus Christ did for us. And that ought to make us secure. That ought to make it possible for us to just sit down and enjoy him because we have all the time in the world and then some. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Sometimes we get antsy and we just wish we could get out of here now. But we understand you're leaving us here for a reason. You're still not finished with blessing us here. There are still ways in which you want to pour out your goodness on us and and pour it through us. And we know that it's mainly here where we get to overflow. Once we get to heaven, there's nobody really to introduce to you. There's no way that we have an opportunity to share with those who are in need because nobody's going to be in need. So help us to enjoy that opportunity that we have now, knowing that even though it hurts sometimes, even though it hurts really bad a lot of times, that it's not in vain. There's a point to it. And God, we do look forward to Victory Day whenever that comes for each of us. Thank you for the assurance that by your resurrection, you have proven to us that we don't have to die. As you said, whoever believes in me will never die. We'll just blank and be with you. Thank you for that assurance. In Jesus' name, amen.